Welcome to HubShot's episode 50, the podcast for marketing managers who use HubSpot or are considering using HubSpot. I'm Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and I'm joined by my co-host, Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. Craig, how are you today? Hello, friend. <laughs> now, you say friend because I was sharing with you a little story about interaction I've been having on eBay, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And that, a, a, an example of personalization gone wrong. Yes. That's right. Even after I gave them my, I signed off on the email with my name, it still came back, hello, friend. Yeah, missed opportunity there. Look, we're recording this on Monday, the 5th of September, 2016. And that means at the time of recording, only 64 days left to inbound. It's ticking away, Craig. It's ticking away. Before you know it, we'll be at inbound. Talking about inbound, uh, later on in our podcast of the week, we'll just mention that George B. Thomas on the Hubcast, they interviewed Kim Darling from the HubSpot events team and just um, some interesting insights about how they're planning um, the whole inbound conference. Amazing. Yeah, I was really amazed. I listened to that on my way here to see you and I was amazed at the extraordinary lengths they have gone to to select speakers and to even just organization as to why people didn't fit in rooms. They said they've invested a lot in digital signage so Mm. they can actually tell what's going on and give people prior warning, which is great. Like pretty fantastic, I think, to think to that kind of level. Yeah, that's certainly putting a lot of effort into it and hopefully it'll be better this year. There were some issues with the rooms. I think that was the main feedback they got. Everything was fantastic. The content was fantastic. All the speakers, keynotes, other events were fantastic. It's just that uh, the room logistics were letting them down at some point. So, yeah. But, look, we'll link to that interview later in the show. Yes. And uh, there seems to be a free keynote spot on yes. Thursday morning, Craig. <laughs> you pointed this out. We're going through the agenda going, oh, Thursday morning, there's no keynote. But th- they haven't allocated Serena Williams or a few of the others. That's true. There's so, always time for you to speak as well. Oh, <laughs> That's right. You know what we should do? Go back through my predictions. You know how in earlier yes. episodes I gave all my predictions? I reckon out of the seven or eight predictions that I made, I've got a sum total of zero, correct? <laughs> but there's still time. <laughs> oh, that, and that leads on perfectly to shot two, Craig, which is all about lead scoring. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice segue. Uh, HubSpot feature and tip of the week. So we're going to talk a bit about HubSpot lead scoring. I think it's probably really underutilized within the tool. Like I know it took us ages to get to it and you start using it and still I'm no expert at it. And I'm sure you are a bit more advanced, but we thought we'd run through some of the things and why it's important to do it. And to even if you're not doing it, think about doing it, have it in your plan to do it in the next four weeks so you can actually see some results. Yeah, I think it's really good. I think most marketing managers and especially sales managers are aware of what lead scoring is, just this idea of building up a score against each contact so you kind of get the highest score means they're more qualified. But what many marketing managers don't know or, or appreciate is just how easy it is to set that up in HubSpot. And also the other thing is they sometimes think you've got to have all these rules all worked out, these complex rules are getting... We actually just start with a few basics. I've got a few screenshots here from one of our customers that we've just shown just some of the simple things that we actually use just to get started. Number of page views, number of emails open, those kinds of things, and some of the negatives that some uh, customers like to have as well. And you've actually put in a nice little table uh, highlighting some explicit versus implicit characteristics. I I found this actually on the Academy project, and I, I really loved it because it really demonstrated if you've got nowhere to start use this as a starting point where it talks about the explicit and implicit values and scores 
And use that. And I think what you want to do is for it says for best results, you'll want to stick to a zero to a hundred point scale and weigh the points in relation to how ready that lead would be to talk to a sales rep. So this is the whole idea. We're scoring them so they can someone in sales can actually talk to this person. Yeah. And everything around it has to tie up. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's worth just mentioning explicit versus implicit and what the differences are. So explicit are generally things that a contact might tell you you about themselves, their title, locations, things like that. Whereas implicit are more behavioral, things that they end up doing. So explicit is what they say they they tell you about themselves. Implicit is actually often the real story. Yeah, so implicit, things like implicit, downloading an ebook, how many pages they visit on your site. For me, something that's implicit that I don't want sometimes if, if we're operating in New South Wales and someone puts in a postcode that is not New South Wales that starts with a three or a five or a six, then I don't want to talk to those person, yeah, those people. Right. So they're not a good good lead. So that's an implicit so a postcode might be explicit because they're yes, telling you about correct, it. Yeah. But yeah, behaviors often, I, I think a good one is kind of engagement times. Like yes, have they engaged within one. the last yep. 30 days? Yes. So that's something that their behavior indicates about yes. their interest that they might otherwise. See, I think it's always interesting. They'll say, oh, yeah, I'm really keen, but then they never come to the site. So there's <laughs> a discrepancy. So always that implicit behaviors kind of dictate yeah. more. And this is actually interesting because it's going to feed on to one of our opinions, which is around one of the explicit things that they might give you is an email address and uh, the email address might be a free email address. And so um, if, if we... Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now, Craig? Yeah, sure. We, this was actually going to be in our opinion of the week. I've jumped ahead. Sorry. We'll come back to our challenge of the week actually in, in a sec. But the, the opinion of the week was, should we value leads who use free email addresses? And a lot of our customers, especially in the enterprise space, B2B, they'll actually say, no, we don't want to talk to anyone that gives a free email address, you know, Hotmail, Gmail, Yahoo, those kind of things. I actually have a different view. I try and push back because I actually say, okay, I know my own behavior. Um, I know I often use free email addresses for all the stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm not interested in the product. And I might actually be a a potential purchaser, but I always just use free, well, not always, but most of the time, a Gmail, my Gmail account for that kind of stuff because I just don't want it clogging up my work address. But I, I say, yep, use that as maybe it's a signal, but then use the implicit behaviours to actually be the driver of where it's whether it's a quality lead and whether you need to be following up. So I might use a Gmail account, but then if they're on your site, highly engaged, then you wouldn't want to lose them because you discounted them for having yeah, a free absolutely. email address. And I also think we operate in sectors like, say, in the manufacturing industrial space, where still today I find people have big pond addresses and Hotmail and Gmail addresses, and they're totally oblivious to having a company email. Well, that's so actually a really it's good It's a very point. valid yeah. um, email to have. That's right. The industry may make a, make a lot of difference into that. Yeah, excellent point. All right, on to our challenge of the week, Craig. Now, we were talking about this because... We're looking at selling some property, or you are. And it was really interesting because I asked you that pointed question. It's like, how did you go about finding the agent, right? And not once did you say you actually searched online. And then I kind of went, oh, then what did you do? And you kind of explained to me, you got a recommendation. You had someone next door selling a property. So you went to the board and you saw who the agent was. And the last one was someone actually put a flyer in your mailbox of how they'd actually got the best sale price for a property right in your area and that kind of triggered you to 
talk to those three people and but you never went online which is really interesting i thought it's really interesting the whole integration between online and offline yeah because if you'd said to me previously oh you know real estate is is print gonna help you i think that's all online mate domain real estate.com you know offline doesn't it's such an eye-opener to me that yeah actually if, if, and I guess the real estate agents have done this. They've built a, a buyer persona or a sell person that they want to yes. uh, work with. And, yeah, a lot of it's offline. And, of course, I jumped online to do a lot of that follow-up. You know, you can look at Rate My Agent and all these other yes. sites where you get reviews and then you have a look at some of their stats. But it's really interesting that a flyer, i.e. junk mail, actually became a key piece of selecting one person that we're talking to. So did you, so, okay, so there's a good question. After you actually decided to talk to these three people, did you actually go onto any sites and actually check the reviews of these, yes, these agents? Yes, yeah, for did? all of them. Okay. Yeah, uh, we've looked at all of them, yeah. Yeah, so. right. So you did do some stuff online. But that's right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the integration between offline and online, but it all started offline, which I think is really interesting because I would have assumed most of it and it would have started online, you know. How do we find an Oh, yeah, we'll just do a, a, a Google search. Actually, no. So, you know, that's really interesting. So... Based on this challenge, I would challenge people that are listening to actually think, what are you doing currently in your business? And is there an offline channel that you need to be targeting to help people in this decision process when they're going to talk to a business you're dealing with? Is there a touch point that you can actually fill that will make them go, hey, I should talk to this person or this business and see where that is? You know, what's really interesting as a follow up to this, because this is my perception where they say, oh, here's some of the marketing we can do. And a lot of them say, oh, we can do letterbox drops, right? And so my first reaction was, letterbox drops? What a waste of time that is. That's junk mail. I was like, oh, hang on. That's how we found you. And it's it's so, you know, even, even going through that process, you still discount certain channels and you, you need to be open to them. And I think it's all about that buyer persona, getting Correct. inside Understanding the head of someone they and how they're going to select you, yeah. All right, fantastic. Now, Craig, on to our pro tip of the week. And we're going to talk about using Google Analytics to find hidden sources of quality leads. Do you want to talk us through that? Well, we were chatting earlier just about one of the campaigns we've been doing with one of our customers. And they're actually running two campaigns at the the moment. One is a top of the funnel awareness piece. Yep. And the second is a real bottom of the funnel decision mode piece. And we're using a range of channels to do that. And what we've found that's really interesting, and this is why we're talking about this, is because we're thinking, because, you know, maybe you use a, a platform like HubSpot to actually find the source of leads and things like that. There are some times when you actually can't get the data that you want. And this is why Google Analytics mm. should always be part of your reporting alongside HubSpot or yes. other tools if you're using other marketing automation tools. And so one of the real things that we found, I'll just talk about this is like a real example that we've experienced in the last week or so is that we found with that top of the funnel campaign, we were actually driving ebook signups and we were getting those leads for less than $5 a lead, right, which is fantastic. But in the bottom of the funnel, the decision mode, actually getting those qualified leads, it was looking around $38 per lead. But then we found going back, so we were like, oh, which one should we use? We actually started using analytics to find that the people in the top of the funnel one that got the ebook and then had the autoresponder sequence in all of those emails at the bottom, there was a link to go back, go click through to a site to a decision mode section of the site. Yeah, this so was actually selecting the supply. That bottom of the funnel. That offer, bottom yeah. of the funnel, yeah. 
So even at an awareness piece, we were pushing a, a call to action to a decision mode piece. So we actually thought it might have been too early, but we we're pushing them through anyway. We wanted to test. What we found that about 20% of those people that are in that nurture were clicking through this decision mode piece and the bounce rate on it was really low. It was around 16%. So it actually meant we were finding 84% were actually going through to becoming a qualified lead. So if you look at those stats, less than $5 a lead to get them into that nurture and then 20% going through, so a fifth of them, we're actually getting qualified leads from that for around $25 compared to a straight campaign to the decision mode, trying to find people at decisions. So so I know that sounds all really complex, but here's my point. We wouldn't have actually been able to get those stats and work out those details that the actual awareness piece was driving cheaper leads and quickly unless we had Google Analytics. And this is the real power of looking into the data. So sure, we can look at sources reports and find, oh yeah, we came from there. But when it actually gets into the nitty gritty of costs and working out differences analytics is your friend so just make sure that you've always got analytics in there we're setting up goals as you and i have said many times make sure the goals and as you always say make sure the goal values are set so you can get some of that in your reporting and then just use that because that's extremely powerful for driving the next steps of both of those campaigns that's right fantastic now our state of inbound item of the week now last week we started about blog optimization so this is the second and final part and this is what HubSpot says it, should, it takes about two hours to complete. And what it'll actually enable you to do is actually increase the online traffic to your blog, better target your buyer personas, which is really important, and generate new qualified leads. So I'm just going to talk about the next remaining steps, which is to optimize the blog post around a primary long tail keyword. So this is something that's generally about three to five words long and has a probably a lower amount of traffic but it's very highly targeted. So the whole idea of this is to actually drive more targeted traffic and to convert that traffic. Another really important thing is formatting your blog post, right? And remember, pro tip here, write for people first and foremost, not for search engines. So it always annoys me when I start seeing silly titles where it has like plumber Sydney or plumber you know, whatever the location is. And I'm like, what has that got to do with anything I'm searching for? So remember, make it user-friendly, right? make it readable. So things like breaking it up in chunks, having really good sub-headlines, choosing breakout quotes, having plenty of white space, that all matters because people scan when they read and you want to lead them down a path. If it's just big blocks of text, it's not going to work. And you can see that. And we'll come back to, you'll see your bounce rate in Google Analytics being really bad. All right, next thing is to include links. So if you've got any related content, include links in your blog post to that related content. And very important, include a call to action that's related to that blog post. Now, if you don't have one, try and think of one, even if it's simplistic. If it, may, it may even be a, create a simple checklist or something that you know that will be helpful to that person and give that to them as the call to action. You know, funny enough, talking about call to actions, I even know somebody who packages up their blog post as a PDF and uses that as a call to action at the end (laughs) to convert people. So people want to download the same thing they've read in a PDF format. Well, I guess it's very relevant. It is. (laughs) And finally, include social sharing buttons and also make sure you update your blog post. And one really good tip I picked up from the knowledge base here was that when you've updated your blog posts, you send a manual email to your instant blog subscribers. 
And the pro tip was to put an editor's note to say that the post was originally published on particular date, on an year, and has been completely revamped and updated for accuracy and comprehensiveness. And that'll help people understand, hey, you're, you're curating your content and looking after it and keeping it current. Now, there was a lot of stuff there, but we put a link to the actual Academy project. So go in there, have a look around. Even if you do this for one blog post every week, I can pretty much guarantee you, you will start to see some result and an increase in your traffic and increasing conversion because you actually took the time to do this. Excellent. Great tips, Ian. All right. On to the next thing. Resource, resource of the, the week. week. And so we've got, uh, we've got two here. One we're going to briefly mention now. And then second, we've actually got a link for next week. So you can do your homework for next week because it's a beauty. So what's the resource of the week, Craig? So uh, the resource is actually uh, from Content Marketing Institute and it's LinkedIn profile tips and there's 60 of them. And it's just a list of tips for improving your LinkedIn profile. And they're excellent. You should go through them and you see them and um, we won't go through all of them here. But uh, it's just one of those great resources where you go through, even if you've got an optimized LinkedIn profile, which I don't, by the way, I've got to say, I've got to work on mine, <laughs> our company one. So this is timely for me. And I'm sure many of our listeners are in that same boat. It's just one of those things they haven't got to. Or, oh, I'll do it. Just go through this list and pick three or four of them and you can apply straight away and, and get basically instant benefit. Fantastic. And on to our community item of the week, which is about... So this is on content marketing. Yes, this is another one from Content Marketing Institute, and they the the post is around why is content marketing so good, and it's really just some content marketing stats. I thought this would be interesting to marketing managers who are listening, and just some of the, the reasons why content marketing is so powerful. I've just picked out two, and one is the rise of ad blockers. So two hundred million people now use ad blockers, and that's only going to increase. So if you've been using paid. AdWords as your only means of driving traffic to, you know, brochure web pages, then it's actually getting more competitive and you're actually got a section of your audience that won't even see them. So you won't even get them. So that's why content is so important. And the second one was just this idea that the median time people spend on articles is 37 seconds, which is quite low. So they tend to skim. And the whole point is on quality here. So if you've got quality content, you can keep them and engage them because the reports show that people are hungry for information and if they do get good quality content they will read and stick with it but you've got to capture them quickly that actually feeds back into your whole piece around optimizing blog posts where you're talking about format and all that kind of stuff yes you've tailored it so that's the keyword that matches you haven't just spammed keywords for (laughs) for google you've actually made it for the reader and you've used formatting so that's all part of it so yeah some great uh links there to have a look at all right, and on to our podcast of the week. And we wanted to highlight this. We spoke about this earlier. It's the interview that George B. Thomas did from the Hubcast with Kim Darling at the HubSpot inbound team. So I think she's a part of the events team, which is a part of the marketing team. But it's some really great insights. So I encourage you to listen to it if you run events or you're considering running an event or you're even getting to the core of what problems people are having. One thing I really stood out from that interview was she said, she read every bit of feedback that they got post inbound to really understand what people were feeling and experiencing during inbound so they could make it better for this year. Yeah, I, I really like it. One thing that uh, stood out for me is when they're selecting speakers, because, you know, we've actually raised this topic. It was like, who are they? Why have they got that person yeah. as the keynote kind of thing? And she said they looked at across the interests of people that are attending and they, they actually spent a lot of time looking at Google Trends 
and people that are on the rise and the like what people are talking about and interest in. And I I found that fascinating because it almost means they're doing some work for me because I actually feel like after listening to those keynotes, I will have actually had input from people that are on the rise and yes. will be influencing wider discussion. And I would never have found them, but Inbound's kind of done that. So it's kind of changed my view of some of these keynotes because I'm like, you know, I've said to you, not, not on the show, but privately I've said, yeah, I might skip that one. <laughs> but but you're, you're absolutely right. But, you know what? After listening to that, I, I will take, I have more admiration for the amount of work that they've gone to get these speakers and the relevance to us in the context of the content that we're going to hear. All right. On to our app of the week, Craig. Well, look, I just wanted to highlight Google Analytics. I, as for the, some of those points that we mentioned earlier around tracking real ROI, you need to have it alongside HubSpot or any other measurement tools. Uh, and, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that because a, a lot of marketing managers I don't think quite appreciate the power or they don't actually <coughs> invest in either learning analytics themselves or yes. hiring an agency or, an, or making sure someone on the team is trained up in analytics. Just really want to highlight that and... Uh, and, and the cost savings and insight it'll give you. That's right. So we've highlighted a few things in there. Have a look. If you don't know, talk to someone, contact us if you need, and we can put you in the right place to help you get the right answers. And finally, Craig, our quote of the week from Brian Halligan. Who's Brian Halligan? I know that name. You've I heard think. that name before, I, haven't it's you? It's a bell, yes. He might have written a book. <laughs> book. Yeah. Anyway, what he said was, what we want you to do is to change the mode of your website from a one-way sales message to a collaborative living, breathing hub. Love it. And this really sums it up. I think whatever you do online, especially your website, needs to be a living, breathing hub. It means you've got to look after it. You've got to water it. You've got to feed it. You've got to prune it sometimes. And you will see it grow. It's just like a living, breathing plant. And finally, on that note, we would love your feedback. If you'd love to join our WhatsApp group, go to hubshots.com slash WhatsApp. Oh, a few new members lately too. Yes. yes. So welcome to our new members. And if you've got feedback on the series we've been doing and anything that you would like us to discuss, if you've got challenges during the week, we often put it on the WhatsApp group to say, hey, do you want us to discuss anything and, and find answers? And we do that quite freely. Until next time, we look forward to talking to you. All right. Catch you next week, Ian. See you, Craig. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.